Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a woman who was predestined for Westminster. She started her political life at the ripe old age of 14, leafleting for the Labour Party with the ambition to one day become Prime Minister. And yet, she's quite possibly the least MP-type person you could ever hope to encounter in the corridors of power. Equally at home, challenging the Prime Minister in the House, as she is posing in some rather dashing PVC trousers for a photo shoot, or sharing family life, girls' nights out, her latest manicure, or updates on her home renovations on Instagram. She has four tattoos. She says shit and fuck a lot in public, and refuses to be anything less than all of the things that she is, which gives her great believability, a deliciously lacking quality in British politics right now. She sits on the opposition front bench as the Shadow Minister for Domestic Violence and Safeguarding, as well as representing her constituents, writing best-selling books and hosting her own podcast, Your Sincerely. A mother at the age of 22, she worked for the Women's Aid Federation managing refuges for victims of domestic abuse before becoming elected as a Labour councillor in 2012 and then MP for Birmingham Yardley in 2015, a seat she's held ever since. Married to Tom, a very unpolitical former lift engineer, the pair have two sons, Harry and Danny, and she lives between her family home in Birmingham and a flat in London. She lives, she says, by the Katy Perry lyric, if you stand for nothing, you fall for everything. Jess Phillips, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I love that. If you're going to quote anyone, don't do a <laughs> Boris and go all Churchill. Go Katy Perry. <laughs> she knows what's good. Either that or uh, is it Belinda Carlisle? We dream the same dream. We want the same thing. I seem to say that uh, a lot. I believe it's Belinda Carlisle. 
Is that circle in the sand? <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> who knows? What greater philosopher? So how are you? It's a Thursday afternoon. What normally uh, are you up to on a Thursday afternoon? Uh, normally, I am, uh, I've been in my constituency all day on a Thursday. I, I tend to be in my Birmingham office on Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays. So I've been in my constituency office all day today. And normally on a Thursday afternoon, I have just got home and... Uh, I am dealing with, uh, well, only one of my children, one of them, my eldest son, he doesn't feature in my life anymore. He's he's off partying <laughs> somewhere. I don't know where he is. He's not he's not around me anyway. My younger son still needs to, to be constantly fed. Uh, yeah. Like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. He's just eating like two bowls of pasta and he's still telling me he's hungry. It's only cereal. Yeah, I get a lot of cereal. Yeah. Oh my God. So that's what I tend to be doing or, and then doing my podcast before I do my evening meetings. I've uh, got an evening meeting tonight with, uh, uh, I think it's Lincolnshire police about domestic abuse. So you are quite a workhorse, aren't you, Jess? Yeah. I mean that, that those days just stretch and get ever longer. Yeah. You're like Mrs. Incredible. I would never work less than 12 hours in a day. Really? Apart from a Saturday, I try and finish by about three um depending on although this Saturday I've got to go to Glasgow and my son is coming with me solely because it's the Eurovision Song Contest Uh, he wants to watch it we're going to watch it in the car on the way home he wants to be with me uh, while he's watching it so that's nice I mean the fact that you've got to do it on the fly in the back of a car is quite something so not about your life indeed but also Um, about your relationship with your son I love that well Eurovision (laughs) is like our Christmas and nobody else likes it. My husband and my older son don't like it, so they're bar humbug about it. Um, even though my older son was born on the day that Eurovision was on and they let my husband stay late in the hospital and they pulled the curtain around us so that, uh, I mean, we could watch Eurovision together. Not that he wanted to, but he was humouring me as I'd just been there. <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, Jess, when you look at your Instagram versus your Twitter, two very different conversations I appreciate. But you don't look like a woman that does six days a week, 12 hours a day minimum. You still look like you manage to have a life. How? Oh, yeah, I have a life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely have a life. Uh, uh, I've got, you know, I, I live in the community I grew up in. Uh, and all my mates, by and large, one or two of them live elsewhere, but they still come here most weekends. Uh, they all just live round the corner. So we, I spend, you know, at like when I clock off at like eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I will go and drink wine at one of my mates' houses or watch telly with them. And and at the weekends, I try and I try and see my friends on one at least one night of the weekends. And my my like seven best girlfriends, all our husbands are friends as well. So we're like, you know, we we're just living in 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 and out of each other's houses really. Uh, I don't go out to the pub so much anymore because people talk to me about politics quite a lot when I'm in the pub, and that's a bit annoying. Um, yeah, but um, husband's holiday. Yeah, so my happy place is sitting around laughing with my girlfriends. So if I didn't mm-hmm. do that, then I'd be very miserable all the time. I mean, if you looked at your Instagram, it's like looking at one of my friends' accounts. <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't make waves in Parliament on a regular basis or represent constituents, and and literally pull off the juggling act that you do. Uh, you make it look very, very easy. And the other thing that I love is this week, because I've been walking around listening to so many podcasts with, that you either are hosting or featured on, chatting to my own girlfriends. There is a, there's a girl crush thing going on with you, Jess. 
women of my age are like fangirling over you. <laughs> what is it that's got our bra straps in a twist? Because there is that, oh my God, I love Jess Phillips. Have you got a number? Like, no, don't worry, I won't pass it around either, Jess. Uh, I think that that is the same with um, 30 to 40 year old gay men as well. Uh, because I, I met a load of the people who make RuPaul's Drug Race the other day and they were literally like, oh my God, I love you! Like, like I, yeah. was, I was like that. There's some really famous people at this event, like, and they were like that. Oh my God, I love you! Uh, which was nice. Um, but um, I think it's just that, I mean, I am very of an era as well and I know all the cultural references um, that sort of women in their 40s and uh, and early 50s would know. Uh, and also, I just I just speak as I find, but also I speak about the kind of things that women care about and that is uh, refreshing for them to... But I don't do it in a... I, I mean, sometimes I do, but uh, I, I try not to do it in a way that is dour. I'm cheerful. <laughs> I try and be cheerful. Yeah. I, I, I find being... And an humorous opposite, and sarcastic... Yeah, we don't have enough sarcasm in politics. You've got to take the piss sometimes. Like that is my love language to take the mick out of someone. Um, like my dad would always it's say, love like, language. He's only really awful to the people he really loves. Um, yeah. Like that is like I was. I was raised being able to laugh at myself and laugh at other people. It's like a and brummies. We're we're all a little bit like, oh well, it'll be all right. We're quite laid back as a people. So um, yeah, I think that's probably why. Um, also, I'm I'm quite tough. I stand up for myself, and I think people think that like lots of people are frightened of confrontation, and they find it like really appealing that somebody's willing to have confrontation. And I'm quite confrontational. Yeah, and I think you talk about all of the things that we talk about, and you talk about them in the way that we talk about them. So we feel included. We feel like we want to be in your gang, in your corner. I mean. Your Instagram versus, I don't even know if she has an account, for example, Pretty Patels, will be incomparable. Yeah, no, I never, I'm never pointing at potholes. <laughs> like, I don't do that thing where I, like, stand in front of something and pretend that I built it. Politicians are always pretending that they built buildings that they did not build. Um, and <laughs> why do, well, also, why do they feel the need to cosplay? Like, like I'm going out with the police, must wear police uniform. Like, I go out with the police all the time. I work with the police all the time. I don't need to dress up as a police officer like I'm five years old. Uh, I just go... You're one of the office. village people. <laughs> I don't need to wear a hard hat and, uh, and a high-vis. Like, I, I, I'm married to a man who wears that every single day of his life. Like, I don't need to, uh, like, pretend that I'm, like, you know, exactly like I'm Bob the Builder. Well, you don't need to pretend that you're one of the people because you feel very much like one of the people. Pretty Patel, not so. And I'm, I'm not being. I'm, this is. I'm, I'm just using her as an example as somebody that holds a very high position in Parliament and possibly could do more to ingratiate female voters to her. Well, I mean, yes, she's got a long way to go. I'd say. Also, she's a bit awkward. She, I introduced her to my son because my son uh, was down in Westminster and he likes to like spot the famous politicians. And like we'd seen Michael Gove, and I'd introduce. I said, "This is my son," and Michael Gove chatted with him, and uh, and we we uh, we saw Matt Hancock uh, being uh, pursued on the tube by Piers Corbyn uh, around being all anti-vaccine, and me and my son had basically told uh, Piers Corbyn to do one, and we chatted with Matt Hancock, and then I bumped into Pretty Patel. <laughs> 
And I was like, oh, bloody hell, this is my son. And, uh, and she just went, she just sort of, she totally failed to make any small talk with this teenage boy. I was like that. I mean, just ask him what he's studying at school. You know, like there's some there's some basic jumping off points, Pretty Patel. Just <laughs> yeah. um, and he he was like afterwards he was like that was awkward. I was like, yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> now, uh, Jess, I have spent a lot of time reading up on you, listening to you, and observing you, and I've composed what I hope are three questions that will really get your brain thinking. Are you ready to dive in? Yeah, go for it. We're living in a time when power and government, which goes unchallenged, is having a devastating effect on the world. And it really reinforces the importance of opposition. Why we need people who are there to challenge leadership. You've written a book all about it called Truth to Power, Seven Ways to Call Time on Bullshit. And without challenge and opposition, we lose really important things. We lose the ability to question, change and hold others to account. But I want to know from you, what have been your own greatest acts of challenge, defiance and opposition, professionally and personally? Um, well, I mean, professionally, it is all entirely, I'd say, the greatest challenge is in the space of uh, men's violence against women. Um, and I'd say it's my greatest challenge because it's also my greatest success. Uh, I sat... I was going to say, you've yeah. achieved a lot in this space, yeah, yeah. It ha I have, I have. But the challenge I put to myself, I never intended to... I mean, I went to Westminster because of uh, my experience working with victims of domestic abuse. But um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't expect to, you know, uh, focus quite so much of my uh, energy into it. And I remember sitting through the very first ever, it was either the spring statement, the budget, the autumn statement, whichever one it was, the first ever sort of big financial um, showcase that I sat through in um, Westminster. It was George Osborne. And um, he didn't say anything about women or fund anything to do with domestic violence. And I sat there and I thought, um, I'm never, ever going to sit through one of these ever again where they don't mention domestic or sexual violence. Every single budget since or autumn statement and now they just have to do it they i mean sometimes that you can tell the day before they're scrabbling around thinking fuck just find something to say about <laughs> give me five million quid to give to something like you've got to have something but i suppose the challenge so then the challenge that i faced um around it was it, it it's bigger than just that one thing it was i have to try and mainstream this into every single political department's mind like I've got to make this a mainstream issue so that they they are embarrassed when they forget rather than just uh you know just and they do they do routinely forget um violence against women and girls even in like the the, the home office which is the department that leads on it they, they routinely uh forget it or miss the mark on it and it's not necessarily in opposition to the government it is in opposition to um society in opposition to the way that uh, all institutions work, not just government uh, departments, but how local councils work, how your local GP works. It is a huge challenge and it is very, very challenging to be the person who makes everybody roll their eyes when you say the obvious thing that they knew you were going to say. Um, and it does mean you have to be ever present. You have to like the ha like 
it is a thing about the women's health review, a meeting. I'm like, well, I'm going to have to go, even if I don't say anything, because they'll go like, oh, shit, Jesse's here. Remember to say something about uh, violence against women and girls. Like, like in every, I have to be really, really present um, in lots and lots of spaces in order that it doesn't get forgotten. Um, and that is really a woman's role in opposition um, is just a reminding people that women exist. It just your very presence reminds um, political actors and people with power that women exist. Um, and without that presence, they would just forget. And you can tell so often the challenge I see all the time is I can tell so often it was really obvious in the early pandemic that there were decisions being made in rooms where there clearly hadn't been a single woman in the room. And like, you know, when they gave out all the furlough money and the business grants and things, they like forgot the special inclusion of childcare providers. <laughs> it was like, uh, hang on a minute, if everybody's just going to suddenly be at home with their kids, like, what about nurseries? And uh, they were like, it's just like nobody had thought about it. It's just like, it's so obvious you don't have to think about this. It's a bit like when my when I was a kid and my dad used to say, oh, who bought you that Christmas present? And you'd be like, you did, dad. And he didn't know he'd bought it for me. Like the, the, It is a bit like, where was the woman in the room who took on the emotional labour of remembering the kids and remembering to do those things? And that was really obvious. So that my, my biggest challenge always, and it still, it persists, even though I have been relatively successful um, in in some areas, my biggest challenge is always just that. Just like, and you get you get pigeonholed by it um, quite easily. Um, and some, you know, people who really love me and care about me will say things like, "Oh, um, you know, you be careful. You don't get pigeonholed. You can still talk about the economy as if women aren't part of the economy. They are, <laughs> or qualified to talk about it." Yeah, I mean, so it's like. Part of my degrees in economics, I can talk about the economy. I mean, the truth is I can't really remember anything other than the supply and demand graph, but you can get pigeonholed and people get tired of you saying the same thing over and over again. But politics really, for any decent politician, the art of politics is just repeating yourself. It's a bit like being a parent. It is, isn't it? Uh, and eventually your children it's a nag. do learn. It's, it's a political nag. It is. Your children do eventually learn like to like put their shoes away when they're like 30 but only because you said it every single day for the preceding 30 years um and <laughs> like that that is essentially what it is is uh, i had a brilliant young woman come and work on a campaign with me and she now funnily enough she works with me they often stick around um and we were doing this campaign about setting up a preventative duty so that employers had a responsibility to prevent sexual harassment in the workplace <laughs> And she was like, look, it had gone really well. We did this big lobby day, like thousands of people came to Westminster and like we were calling on the government to do this thing. And then when they, they said, oh, we're going to do a review, which is always what the government promises when it wants to kick it into the long grass. And she was like, great, we're going to get a review. Then we, they did the review and they sent it back and they basically said, we're not going to do this. And she genuinely couldn't believe it. I said, you've only been at it six months. It's going to take at least seven years before we get that. I was like that just keep saying it she's like is that is it over I said no we just go back to saying the same thing over and over again uh, and that is a massive challenge is is basically longevity staying in and, and not getting um jaded and downbeaten when things take time I do often feel like that old lady who held that sign said why am I still protesting this shit 
Yeah, you probably are, Jess. You yeah. should just get a t shirt with it. No, I'm just like. Save you carrying it around, just wear it. I've been saying this in meetings. <laughs> if I sit in another, right, 10 years ago, uh, I sat in meetings where people said we need to train the judiciary on domestic abuse. It, and, and now I'm in meetings where they're saying it. In 10 years' time, I'll be in meetings where they're saying it. It's just like, can we just stop saying it now? Because, oh my God, like, how can we still be saying the same thing and it hasn't happened? You start to go slightly giddy about how, like, things that definitely should have changed have not changed yet. To keep to keep having the same fight yeah. fundamentally, but you're also not afraid to go. What you're where you're brave, and I think this is where a lot of the girl crushing comes from, Jess, is that you're never afraid to stand up for what you believe in, no matter how it may damage you. So you know, as a young MP on the block, you weren't afraid to make yourself unpopular with the Corbynites, no. and you spoke out very, very strongly um, against. Uh, him and you, I mean, there's one quote I love you said I think Jeremy wants to be the leader but I'm not sure he wants to be prime minister I worry what he hears when people speak he and the people around him only seem to hear you're amazing can I have a selfie yeah I mean and that is that is absolutely true but it takes guts to say that Jess a lot of people think it but what's it like when you articulate that in a newspaper and then have to walk into a room where they're all there and they've all read it um, well, to be fair, I wouldn't say anything to a newspaper that I wouldn't say to somebody's face. Um, so uh, he he was under no illusion. The very first parliamentary Labour Party meeting that I ever had when Jeremy Corbyn became the leader. Um, and to be fair to him, it wasn't particularly his fault. I And it was a, really one of the first meetings I'd ever been in after being elected. And I didn't know that people didn't say what they thought. Um, so I just stood up and I just said, I want you to know that I found this weekend the Labour Party felt like it wasn't a place for women. There was all men on the stage. All men were elected. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think it's disgraceful. Uh, and everybody just sort of looked, like, looked at me like, like, Oh my god! I can't believe it actually. But then everybody else started it. It's like started a trend. But yeah, like I think it does take guts, and sometimes I have to like dig deep. Um, but often I don't even realise I'm doing it. Often I just think I'm talking like everybody talks, and then people are like, "Oh, you can't say that," and I'm like, "Really? Why can't I say that? I can say that, can't I?" Do you get a lot of phone calls just saying? Did you actually say this? Because, you know, you shouldn't have said... Are you still getting bollocked all these years in? Uh, not so much now. They just sort of got used to the fact that I, I... Somebody once said to me in the Labour press office, they said, don't worry, when it's you on the telly, they don't assume it's the Labour line, so you can really say whatever you like. You sort of learnt that uh, you earned the reputation <laughs> of not having to be expected to say anything other than what you think. They were like, don't worry, it won't come back on us because they'll just think, oh, it's that's Jess, that's what she's like. Um, so, no, I, occasionally people will ring me up and say, did you did you actually say this? And, and sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes you are misrepresented or it's taken out of context what you were saying. Um, but, um, no, I think that mostly people are sort of used to it now. Does it get tiring having to be the one that constantly is bombastic, challenging, questioning, unpopular it does sometimes get tiring and actually this is a problem for women in politics more generally is that when there is fractions specifically internal fractions in Westminster and internal fractions within political parties it is often the women who have to put their heads above the parapet uh, a because I think that the women are tougher and braver because to be a woman in politics it you have to be tougher than a man because you face so much more challenge and abuse 
Um, but also the risk to the women seems like, like I couldn't possibly say this, it will affect my career. Whereas women don't necessarily, uh, you know, that they don't think that they're always constantly on a promise uh, like the men do. Um, and so women are often braver. So like in any intervention in the Corbyn years, it was often the women who were sent out batting. And I noticed in the sort of whole porn gate with, of the Tory MP watching porn in... Uh, Everything's a gate, isn't a ga- it? A lot of gates. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, the the women in Parliament, really, the Tory women specifically in this case, it was they, they really had to be brave and they, they, they went out and batted collectively with each other. Um, and so, yeah, but it is very, very tiring sometimes when it's just like the same 10 people who have to, like, be bullshit. Uh, and like journalists pick up on it and they will ring you and be like, oh, you must have an opinion on that. And sometimes I just I'm just too tired. And I, I just sometimes I have no strong feelings about things. I'm like, I, I don't I don't care. Like, I haven't got the energy to be really cross about this today. Like like anyone makes any sort of sexist comment in the media and all the newspapers will ring me and say, well, what do you think about Jimmy Carr? What do you think about? And I'm just like, oh, do you know, I don't really care. Like, I. I haven't got the, I haven't got the energy. I'm like when people stop being raped, I tell you what, I'll get round to people who've said something stupid on a Netflix series. Like until that point, like really, I haven't got the energy. So it, it does get tiring, and like you know, sort of being painted as being like Mary Whitehouse, like you're going to be object, you're going to object to absolutely everything. Like nine times out of ten, I just don't have any very strong feelings about most things. Like most people. Do you think that sometimes the way you are and how you are and that this this great authenticity and believability that you have can also work against you? Oh, yes. In terms of progression being taken seriously. Well, yeah, there's the the progression thing, but also you expose yourself and and wiser people than me. um, And I, I would never have managed this because it's just not the personality that I have. But wiser people than me have said, keep your private life private, because like, you know, actually, when the things start to merge into one, um, it's sort of owned a bit by the public. Uh, and that is uh, that can be p- painful. Um, and yeah, so the, there is definitely uh, a cost, uh, an emotional cost. You become like a, a riskier strap. But the truth with me is that no one could ever sell a story on me because I would tell a story. I just I would just say yeah. no, I've done that. Um, and also I don't ever leak. I just speak. I just say the things that people are leaking to journalists. I just write it on Twitter. <laughs> Um, and so in many ways <laughs> and share it yeah just say it just go out and say it um, like but so in many ways I'm less of a risk like because but I'm held to an incredibly high standard that is the other problem is that um, that being human is meant to mean that like you know I, I'm going to make mistakes I do things wrong just like everybody does however when people sort of uh will wish for you to be like you know the sort of very best the most honest the most like you are held to a considerably higher standard so like had I done what Matt Hancock did to his family very very publicly in the newspapers I mean a I'm a woman so I'd never have got away with it I was gonna say but but even so like even without that uh without the gender element of it 
even so, there's just no, like I am held to a higher moral standard than Matt Hancock, which is, you know, in one respect, good that I'm held to a higher standard. I'm glad I'm held to a higher standard. Um, but in other respects, it means that it's ve like people are waiting for you to fall. It's also not fair, is it? You should we should we should all be held to the same standards, surely. But I think you're right, Je you know, Jess. If if you'd been caught with your hands down one of your husband's friends' pants during a lockdown, who I was paying to work for, were they? Yeah, I, I mean, if I had um, six, well, as far as we know, six children. No, seven, sorry, seven children. We're talking Boris now. Seven children with three yeah. different men, one of whom I never saw, and it was very publicly known that I had basically abandoned. I would never have been elected to Parliament, let alone would I ever make it to be the Prime Minister. Yeah, you work in a really challenging space, Jess. Good luck. <laughs> Luckily, I don't have affairs because, because I, I do the disparity have, is huge. Yeah, whilst I do have time to go out and get drunk with my mates, I definitely do not have the energy or bandwidth to have an affair. I mean, honestly. Why would you want to? You speak so beautifully about your husband and you say of all the things in the whole wide world that you've been scared of or afraid wouldn't work, he and you and him have never been one of them. He's always been just yeah, your yeah, given. Yeah. He's my whole life. I love my children because they're, I mean, I love them anyway. They've turned into quite interesting characters in their own rights. But like, I definitely, when they were babies, I loved them because they were his children as well. Like they were part of him and me. Um, and yeah, no, there's no, I, I don't ever imagine, I don't ever worry. I, we don't even have, uh, we, we have actually once had the conversation about what we, who would have what when, if we ever got divorced and he just wants the telly. And, but we live very, very separate lives in lots of ways. Like obviously we don't even live together half the time, which definitely helps. Yeah. Like we, we, we live completely independently of each other at the same time as uh, being together. And there's no, it's just not difficult, you know, like when you worry about like people being jealous or like people being um, like, like I never feel like I have to explain why I'm late or anything to him. He's just like, oh, I always say to him, do you miss me when I go away? Uh, and he's just like, we always come back. Like he's very, very just sort of like, <laughs> or if I, so he's got no photos of me on his phone or anything. And I just, I'm like, why don't you have photos? He's like, I know what you look like. <laughs> He's very, very... I mean, he makes me look like I don't... I'm not straight speaking. He is the most plain speaking human being in the world. Uh, he, is he? he? Oh, my God, it's embarrassing. He will say, you know, when like somebody invites <laughs> you around for dinner and, um, like, you don't want to go, so you make up an excuse about childcare or something or a meeting or a hospital appointment. Like, uh, he will just say, oh, we don't want to come. Like... <laughs> You know, when you bump into someone you haven't seen for ages and the only way to get out of it, to uh, out of the conversation is to say, uh, like, oh, we must get together with a for a coffee sometimes. No intention of doing it. Uh, he's When someone says that to him, he says, we probably won't, will we? <laughs> no filter. <laughs> just straight from the brain to the lips. Totally just like, <laughs> speak as you find. Um, yes, no, I love my husband. He's an excellent human. Okay, you ready for your next question? 
They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We've talked a lot um, about politics and power and the top job in the land is one that you identified as one you'd like from a very early mm-hmm. age. You wanted to be prime minister. So if you ever make it there, Jess, I want to know what the first things you would do in your first 100 days in office as a prime minister of this country that would honestly make a tangible difference to people's lives. Um, well, the, the very fair, and this has definitely changed since I've been a politician um it changes i suppose as society changes um but the very first thing i'd do is uh, i would i would you have to have an absolute moratorium on the way that social care uh, for both for vulnerable adults children and older people is managed in our country um it is like you know that would i think it is the greatest challenge we basically need to invent a new NHS for um, older adult care and vulnerable uh, and disabled adult care because it is just absolutely woeful. And so the very first thing I would do is, is I suppose, try and, and set up uh, as... A, I'd like to think that if I was the Prime Minister, that and I, I used to bemoan Theresa May for this all the time, is that like she was in a terrible spot where divisions were really rife um, in Brexit uh, within her own party as well as across Parliament uh, and I used to just think pick up the phone and talk to us like never would they like in all the time she was trying to get her deal through she never once spoke to the opposition about what should go in the deal we could have carried the votes had it been better uh, but she never once did that and I used to stand in Parliament and literally just say those people over there they're pretending that this is what they're but they're just trying to get rid of you they're not honest brokers don't listen to those lunatics in your party Boris Johnson um they're not they don't have your best interest or the country's best interest at heart they only have their interest at heart give me a call and then unfortunately she did actually once give me a call and i was um when number 10 downing street calls you it says it says on your phone even if you haven't saved it on your phone uh it says downing street is calling you 10 downing street like a call from the prime minister it comes through a switchboard Does it? yeah 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 it comes through a switchboard um and and then they tell you that the prime minister wants to talk to you and then they put you through to the prime minister but when when she did call me i was in a nail salon and she was on loudspeaker and i just was like please do not 
don't say any more. You're on loudspeaker. I haven't got any hands. My hands are literally under a UV light. Uh, and I was like, I'll call you back. That's hilarious. You so you actually got the Prime Minister on loudspeaker as you're drying your shellacs. As I'm having my shellac done. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, that was orcs. Um, but, like, I like to think that if I was the Prime Minister, I would the very first thing I would try and do is find uh, the cross-party consensus to achieve a thing without it being a political um, football that it becomes and everyone calls it the dementia tax or goes on about how we're trying to take people's houses off them and to pay for it and this, that and the other. I would try the first thing in the first hundred days would first of all to be to to have the meetings to get to the consensus before you start the bill that would make the thing. And that is what I would uh, seek to do. But um, in the shorter term, I think that I would, um, it, you know, the sort of quick things that you could maybe get past quickly is I would equalise men and women's maternity and paternity. I think that men should get the same as what women are offered, because I think that would help the childcare crisis. Uh, and I, I, I basically want men to be as risky to employers as women. <laughs> I'm not really doing them a favour. But also it's about accountability and responsibility. And it takes two people to make a baby. So surely they should both be extended. We can't stand here as women and demand equal rights and then not see that extended by way of return. Oh, absolutely. That's not feminism, is it? A hundred percent. And my husband would have taken a year off work had that been available to him. He didn't even get... I mean, he... When my eldest was born you got two weeks off and it was unpaid. It's not, uh, not even statutory. Um, and when my second baby was born, it had gone up to being statutory, but it was still only two weeks. And now you can share it, but I don't want to share mine. I want my year off with my newborn baby, A, because I've been through a medical trauma as much as anything else. And then I want him to have the year off afterwards and look after the baby on 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 his own. Like the, the that's, and you'd have two years paid childcare then. Um, and that, yeah, I just think that that would, and, and lots of men want it, but um, it's just not available to Does them. that exist anywhere else in the world, Jess? Sort well, of. In Sweden does it now. Scandinavia, yeah, fucking Sweden. Yeah. They have everything good. They get it so right. <laughs> oh, God. It's quite a controlled society, I think, though, just to, just to slag them off a bit. Uh, it's a bit, maybe a bit controlled, but uh, yeah, like in Scandinavia, they have like use it or lose it um, paternity leave. Yeah. Uh, and they, they sort of, you, your benefits are affected if you don't take it. Um, so, um, or, or your tax breaks are affected if you don't do it. Uh, so that, the yeah, basically Scandinavia is ahead of the curve. But no, there's no, I, I don't think there's anywhere where it is like an equal amount. And I would like to see that uh, in the first hundred days. But also, I would start a huge, basically royal style commission um, into violence against women and girls and all the things that um, go wrong with it. And stop it just being like sticking plaster policy about refuge or sticking plaster policy. It needs to be complete safety and security. And the way that we think of it is still always about men in Chinooks, in uniforms or police officers never really includes what safety and security means for women. So I'd have like a women's security uh, commission to basically try and redo every government department and the way that they deal with it. So those are the things I would do in my first hundred days. I also might try and make some funny laws like anyone who takes a minus offer on the chase has to go into a forced <laughs> labour camp. The chase. 
How the hell do you get the time to watch The Chase? Because, genuinely, I get up really early. I'm a bit of an insomniac. I get up really early and I will work. I always, and it maybe it comes from going to school, I don't know, I always have a lull at about half past three where I basically am useless from like half past three till five and then I'll like eat my dinner and then I'll do work again in the evening. And I mean, not in the days when I'm in Westminster, uh, I'm just all over the place, but like when, especially when I was working at home um, and the chase is always on challenge. On a Saturday, you can watch it all day. I absolutely love Tipping Point and the chase and I, I will watch it to restart. <laughs> Have you been on? No, I would love to go on. I'm, I'm going to message Bradley Walsh straight after this and say, you've got to get Jess Phillips on. I would totally hustle them, though. I would, like, not do well in the cash builder so that they thought that I wasn't very good at quizzing. And then and then offer me a massive amount of money. And then I'd be like, oh, boom, I'm really good at quizzing. Um, I love a quiz. Absolutely love it. Um, but, yeah, and, and tipping, tipping point, my, my father-in-law, I mean, he watches it religiously. And so, you know, you know, sort of slightly orcs if you're on your own with your father-in-law. Me and my father-in-law, we just always just watch Tipping Point together. We love it. I mean, who'd have thunk? My husband wants the job. His dream job is being the person who fabricates and manufactures the weird machines that they use on quiz shows. Like, 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 like somebody had to make a giant two-feed push machine or that the wall one with what's his name, Danny Dyer. He's like, like, it's just like, Tom is like that. Some that's somebody's job. Like that is somebody's job to make that massive machine. Like and, and the wheel and everything. They always know they have to have some sort of crazy machinery involved. Oh Jess, I think for the next comic relief or children in need, you need to participate on every everything. quiz show. I can do like a marathon. Very everything. Yeah. I'm a quiz show fanatic. <laughs> I honestly, that my favourite TV shows are really rubbish quiz shows. I absolutely, they're not rubbish actually, they're brilliant and I love them all. But like the trashier, the better, the, the most, the more stupid the premise, the better. Uh, like I, I love it, like the more stupid machinery involved, I, I, I want I, I want part of it. But it would, it's much more embarrassing for me not to know the answer. And like, I'd be asked about like a prime minister and I wouldn't know the answer. Uh, and then everybody would be like, well, that's shameful. I was an answer on university um, university challenge, and I did I I didn't get it. My husband got it. He was like, "It's you." I was like, "Oh yeah, it is me." If you met Bradley Walsh, would it be a minute for you? It would. I would be very excited. I was at the Baftas the other week, and the Chase won, and I was like that. I'd, I'd not heard of it, hardly any of the higher brow dramas that were on things, but I was like that. Wow, the Chase! I got really excited. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that takes care of your first 100 days in office. Yeah. I'm happy. Um, thank you. Right, we're on to our third and final question. I wanted to talk to you about Your Sincerely, your podcast, which came about after you felt compelled in lockdown while we we're kind of in this sea of uncertainty just lost in life all of us around the world you felt compelled to write letters to your own husband and children to tell them what you what they mean to you now on the podcast you asked your guests to write three letters to three people that mean the world to them one they love one that's no longer around and one very significant person who probably doesn't realize what an impactful role they've played in their lives so flip reverse it back to you i want to know who are your letters going to be written to and what have been the most meaningful or significant letters you've ever written or received? 
well, my husband would be the person who means the world to me. Um, and I, yeah, I would write him, uh, you know, it, a, a tone about how much I love him and he's the beginning, middle and end of everything that I am about and have achieved. Uh, and lots of people in politics, he, it's a sort of irritating thing that if you're the husband of a female politician, you get a lot of praise because uh, it must be incredibly hard, um, you know, to, uh, <laughs> you know, and he's always like, somebody once said to him, my wife, your wife, your wife is brilliant. And I know that, uh, you know, she wouldn't be able to do it without you behind her. And he was like, my wife's brilliant all by herself. Thanks. Um, but which isn't true. I'm, I'm touched that he said it, but it, it's absolutely not true. I'm not brilliant without him at all. Um, I wouldn't have achieved any of the things that I achieved without him. And not just because he's like good around the house and looks after the kids. They're his kids after all. Um, uh, just because he is a constant solid. He's a, he's the constant in my life when nothing else is constant. So I'd write it to him. But if he were to write me a letter, it would literally, this would be the sum total of it. She's all right. He's not, yeah, he's not, he's not loquacious um, or expressive. In what is the way. most loquacious thing he's ever said to you? What's the most, what's um, the most romantic line he's ever spun? When he's pissed, sometimes he gets a bit, uh, he gets a bit loving, loving. Uh, genuinely, his romance comes out differently. I, I, I wrote once that the most romantic thing he ever did was that um, I got my period and I'm sat on the loo and I opened the cupboard and he'd remembered to buy Tampax um, when he did the shopping. And that, that to me, like he shows me that he loves me. Like when he goes out, he'll buy things that he's remembered that I like, like the biscuits that I like, like he will see something and he will remember it and write it down somewhere so that when it's my birthday or um, Christmas that he, this like really obscure thing that I've once said, like he, he acts in a loving way all the time. So, but he would be the person who meant the world to me. The person who is no longer here would be my mum. My mum died um, nearly 12 years ago now. Um, And uh, yeah, she would be the person who I would write to. But genuinely, there'd just be too much to say. This is a woman I spoke to on the phone um, every single day of my life until she died. And or saw her three, four times a week. She was in my life constantly and it is like a magnificent political activist um, beyond, I mean, but nothing like me, like she wasn't bolshy. She was quiet and she made people do what she wanted and needed with sort of quiet kindness. Uh, whereas I'm just like, if you don't do it, I'm gonna shout at you. <laughs> um, but um, What do you miss most about her, Jess? Oh, it, it's funny because people say to me all the time, people who knew her, like because she was quite eminent and quite a political campaigner, quite a lot of people who I come across knew her. So uh, she gave Andy Burnham his first job, for example. Did she? Yeah, yeah. And he loved her. Oh, my God, he loved yeah. her. And he's always saying to me, it means so much, you, you know, your mum would be so proud of you. But lots of people say that to me, like, I wish your mum could have seen um seen what you know you've achieved my mum was raised uh by a single mum in Yardley and like for me to represent the area and my mum spent lots of time working with the previous MPs in Yardley to change laws and things in the 1970s uh I looked through Hansard and the MP for Yard Birmingham Yardley my seat now uh, he mentions her like numerous times she is mentioned in in the House of Commons 
because she's running various campaigns to sue drug companies. My mum was like Erin Brockovich. But it isn't that that I would want to talk to her about. I, I would just... The thing I miss the most is that she was genuinely sympathetic if I felt ill. Like, in a way that, like, nobody... Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't think Tom's going to give you that, is he? No, he's just sort of like... <laughs> I mean, he's very like, look, if you're ill, love, go to bed. He's very practical about it. He's like that. You know, no point pushing through it. Just get yourself to bed. Uh, like, but my mum was like, oh, love, are you all... Like, she was always on my... T she was always enthusiastic to hear about big or small... Or, like, if I wasn't sure about something with the kids or something... Like she would just, she wouldn't necessarily know the answer, although she had uh, a lot of sons herself, um, but she would just listen to me. And I, I miss that. I miss having somebody who is like, like definitely doesn't mind you ringing up and whinging at them. Like she definitely didn't mind. And that is the thing I miss uh, the most. Also, she bought wicked Christmas presents. Um, and and for a while, my poor old dad, he tried to like, you know, do what like, what mom did at Christmas, and now he just gives us money. <laughs> it's just like, I can't, I can't <laughs> like five little presents, five medium ones. Like when we were in, when we were like, when we were in like our twenties and thirties, my mom still did that. Still did it <laughs> with amazingly hard crossword clues. She was very clever, my mum. She was good at quizzing. My God, she was good at quizzing. That's maybe where I get That's that where from. it comes from. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> I miss just sort of having that person who you can ring every day and just be... And I do it with my husband when we're, I'm away, but I don't, we don't really have... Somehow we don't have anything to say to each other. I'm like, oh, how's your day? Just ringing to say hello. And then we go, all right then. See you later. How are the kids? Yeah, they're all right. See you later. Whereas me and my mum would chat. Like, we would chat. Um, and so I, I kind of miss that. I miss that. My dad has done a really good solid of being both my parents uh, since then. So it would be my mum who I'd write to. But I don't know. I think I'd just write. I just maybe maybe I'll just whinge about the things that are wrong, which is not fair. But in, <laughs> uh, too much has happened since she died um, that I... Uh, that I, it would be too much to tell her. More of a book than a letter. Yeah, it would be like oh, and then and then and then she'd just slag it off because it would be like one of those awful Christmas letters, uh, which she would definitely have had. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't want. She doesn't want to blow by blow. She just wants to know how I'm feeling right now. Um, yeah. But um, and the person who doesn't know how much they've affected me, I mean, this person is a person who actually does know it because I have told her um recently uh when she said she was standing down from parliament um and that is uh harriet harman um she literally harriet harman and even tony blair um by um by way of harriet harman they changed my life um like it like and they never knew me or knew anything about me or but they knew that there were young women who had had babies and needed policy around childcare and needed tax credits to help pay for that childcare and needed, you know, funding for local charities so that they could get jobs and things. There's, there's nothing that I have achieved that I would have been able to achieve had I been 22 with a small baby under this government. Like, it would have been so much harder. I bought my first house. I got my education. I got married, had my children, was a carer for my dying mother. 
uh, got my first job all under the last Labour government and I owe them such a debt for building ladders for me to climb up um, and it's because of people, women like Harriet Harman being the woman in the room being like don't forget the women don't forget that young some young women have babies like build a sure start center for those women like that they she 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 didn't know me and she doesn't come from the same background as me she's from she's fancy she's from like a manor house <laughs> but she cared about girls like me and she thought that we if we were given a chance we'd take up that chance and 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 offer something back to society and she was right so um, yeah, I it, Harriet Harman has affected. Harriet Harman is the reason that my children um, have a better future and have all of the comfort and security that they have. And I owe her a debt that will never be able to be repaid. Also, she just paved the way for women in politics. So, in many ways, she is the per- she has totally changed my life and my husband's life and my children's life. Um, and I get to be friends with her, so that's nice. <laughs> what did she say, Jess, when you told her what she meant to you and how you'd how you felt? She does that thing that everybody does, saying, "Oh gosh, it wasn't me." Like, oh, there was lots of us involved. Um, and she she's just like, actually, I'm really proud of you. Uh, and she she she's very very sort of generous, but she sort of bats it away, like, um, yeah, she bats it away. Uh, as if it's uh, just, you know, run of the mill that, you know, she massively improved the rights of women for 40 years uh, and gave her whole life to that. That is like impressive. Like, I'm not going to stay in Parliament for 40 years. I mean, she's got a London seat, so maybe it's a, been a bit easier. But I'm not, I mean, I'm not staying 40 years. I've got max 25, max 25. I'm not staying, I've been knackered. You say that. <laughs> I can't. I can't see you walking out of this conversation. <laughs> I can't see you doing it. And I, do you know what? I really hope you don't because one day you'll be, or you already are, Jess. Somebody's Harriet Harman. Yeah, that's you know true. those ladders. We have to keep them down because the, the the further you climb, the more space there is for other women to come Absolutely. up. Absolutely, ride your skirts. Yeah, when people say it to me, they're like, oh, you've inspired me to do this. I'm like that. Oh, that's nice. I don't know that I meant to, but thanks. You're welcome. But obviously, I spent my whole life trying to inspire people to get involved and do things and, and like to make sure that women can be. I remember we changed the law about domestic violence victims being able to be directly cross-examined in family courts by their perpetrators. And the week after it had um, changed, a woman wrote to me and she just said, I just want you to know that I'm the reason that you did this. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, because it's sort of like people become academic and they're like numbers on a spreadsheet. There were like 17,000 women. Yeah. Like and this woman was just like, oh, by the way, I didn't have to be questioned by my perpetrator today. Thanks. And I was like, oh, look, changing the law. It's like a thing. Like, I, like it actually like affects people. Like, that's amazing. Well done, me. It wasn't just me. I have to say. Well done, you. <laughs> it wasn't just me. That's very Harriet Harman already. It's exactly what she said to you. It's also true. I mean, like, it's true when Harriet says it. It's true when uh, I say it. But it's the people who, I suppose, take their heads being chopped off who get known, like, for uh, doing the thing, even though there are lots of people involved. It's the people who take all the pillorying for doing that that uh, are the people. So they deserve a bit of praise as well. 
as do you, Jess, because you know what? We need women in those. We need, we need, we need you and we need women like you. And I wish I had the appetite and the energy and the bravery to do what you do. Um, and whilst I don't, I remain incredibly grateful that women like you and Harriet Harman are there. Um, so thank you for your time today and thank you for your conversation. And I look forward to the day that you get your first 100 days in office. <laughs> A huge thanks to my guest, the incredible Jess Phillips MP, for joining me on this week's episode. And don't forget, you can listen to her own podcast, Yours Sincerely, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're in the mood for more great chat with fascinating political types from the world of politics and broadcast, have a peruse for our back catalogue where you'll find equally compelling David Lammy MP, Alistair Campbell, Charlene White, Kate Silverton, Simon Mayo, the poet Lem Sissy, Lorraine Kelly. I mean, I could go on. Fill your boots, my friends. And in the meantime, my thanks to you as always for listening in to Ben Robbins and the Yahoo Studios team who produced the show with me, uh, to our editor, Anne Diankson, and our music comes courtesy, as always, from Andy Bell. We'll be back next Friday with more great guests. Until then, take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.